Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. All right. So what we're going to do this morning, I'm going to conclude a series we started a few weeks back called Essentials. And um, Essentials is a series really essentially all about us getting to know God better. And in order for us to get to know God better, there are certain essentials that we need to have in our lives or disciplines that deliver uh, in order for us to have the intimacy that we desire. And so I used uh, week one as a bit of an introduction. And then week two, Ash spoke about the Bible. And then uh, part three was me speaking about prayer and fasting. And then Kath on Sunday night spoke about practical fasting. And so I encourage you to get on the podcast and look at all those. And you can enjoy them again and again and again and get them into the hands of those who need to hear them. Uh, So that would be great. Which brings us to part five, and I want to speak about the church. Everyone say the church, which I think is really fitting because it's Vision Sunday. And on Vision Sunday, I get to speak about the church. People often ask me, what is Vision Sunday all about? Well, essentially, we do get the opportunity to go over and through some of the things that we want to achieve this year. But more importantly, it's an alignment meeting. It's an alignment meeting of heart and purpose. You see, every one of us drifts from time to time. While we are in this body of flesh, human nature causes us to drift. And Vision Sunday gives us an opportunity as a church to have a heart alignment and a purpose alignment. And so that's the purpose of Vision Sunday in a nutshell. And so I can't think of a better way to bring that alignment than speaking about the church. And so if you would turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, which was written by a man of the name Paul, and he was in prison writing to a church in the region of Philippi. And he goes on to say this, verse 25, But I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for you, and uh, it's and is distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and he almost died. But God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him to you so that you will see him again and that you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. It's amazing to me that the great apostle Paul suffered from anxiety. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honour people like him. Because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. I've looked at this passage of Scripture many times over the years, but it's never been more poignant for me than this time because of what happened last year. You know, because of an illness in my life, um, I almost died. And it was off the back of a tragic event that took place earlier in the year. And I remember sitting in hospital thinking, oh my goodness, if I die on top of what has already happened, This will not just be sorrowful, this will be sorrow upon sorrow. And that is what Paul is talking about here. You've sent this young man to help me. 
And here he is sick to the point of almost dying. And he says this, he says, God had mercy on him and saved this young man and raised him up to fullness of health to save me sorrow and to save you sorrow. And I feel very much uh, like I'm part of this story because I felt God had mercy on me last year and kept me alive and kept my family from sorrow upon sorrow and kept the church from sorrow upon sorrow. And so this passage of Scripture is always pertinent and poignant, but for me right now, it's even more so because of what took place last year. And Paul is talking about a a deep relationship that he has with a young man by the name of Epaphroditus. I don't know if there's any pregnant women out there that are looking for names for their soon-to-be-born son, but there is one not to use probably, but uh, each to their own. But this man, Epaphroditus, was a young man who went uh, to a particular area where Paul was in prison to help him and to be of service to him. He got ill and he almost died, as I've already mentioned. But Paul's response to me is what uh, amazes me. He sends him home and he says this, honour men like him. He didn't say rebuke men for giving up and giving in and being wimps. Now he didn't say rebuke them. He said, honour them. It was say honour. He says, honour them. And uh, I think rightly so. And not only does he say honour them, but he uses affectionate, connected, relational language when he talks about this young man, Epaphroditus. He says, Epaphroditus was my brother and he's my co-worker and he's my fellow soldier. This is intimate, connected, relational language. This isn't, uh, there's some guy you sent over, can't quite remember his name. He's going back to you because he kind of got sick and uh, didn't quite work out. No, no, there's none of that going on there. There's intimate, personal, connected, relational language being used here. And uh, what you need to understand, this language is all representative of the nature of the church. These three things that Paul calls Epaphroditus are reflective of the church. The first thing he says, he says, Epaphroditus is my brother. Why would he use such language? I'll tell you why. Because the church, first and foremost, is a family. The church is a family. When anyone gives their life to Christ, they become part of God's family. They're part of God's big family. And this family has a name. And the name God gives to His family is the church. And if you have given your life to Christ and come into a relationship with God through Jesus, you are part of the church. You are part of the family of God. And the Bible talks about two expressions of the church. And the first one is the universal church. It's the church that every believer, past, present and future, is a part of. Every person who gives their life to Christ is a part of the local church. This is the church that Peter, Jesus was talking about when He said to Peter in Matthew chapter 16, Peter, on you I will build my church. This is the church universal that everyone who calls upon the name of Jesus, is a part of. But then there's a second expression of church, and it's the local church. 
where a community of people get together and do life together. Where people know you and you know people. And that's really important in the plans and the purposes of God, that you know people and that people know you. See, in the universal church, it's far too big to be known and to know people. You might know or heard of Joyce Meyer, but there's a very good chance she doesn't know you. You might know Stephen Furtick, but there's a very good chance he doesn't know you. See, we can't operate outside of community uh, in, uh, we can't operate inside community through the universal church. It takes place in the local church. And this is important to God because He wants us to grow. And it's in community that we grow. There's a saying that says it takes a village to raise a child. And I agree with that. But I also believe it takes a community to grow people. We need other people in our world to grow us because God wants us to grow. And so he created a local church, a community of believers to come together where you can be cared for, where you can be loved, where you can be supported, where you can receive aid again and again and again. This is the family of God. But because we are human beings, we do tend to drift. And, and so also in the local church, not only do we receive the care, support and the love, we also receive adjustment and alignment. We receive correction and discipline. That takes place in the local church. And it's all important and a big part of our growth. God wants us to grow. And so He created the local church for us to be a part of in order to be cared for. In Matthew chapter 18, we see this word church being used in such a way. Matthew says that if you have a sin against the brother, go to them. And if they don't listen, take a, a, a confidence, someone who's for them and wants to help them. Take them. Don't, don't spread rumours. Don't gossip. Just take one solid friend that can help them to uh, see their sin and hopefully overcome their sin. This is the local, it happens in the local church. And then it says, and if they still don't listen, then take it to the church. At that moment, Matthew is not talking about the universal church. Can you imagine having to take that one man's sin to the universal church? Get on a plane and go to every part of the world. No, no, he's not talking about that. He's talking about what takes place in the local church through government that takes place in the church that you're a part of in order to make sure that we continue to grow. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, Paul says to this young man, Timothy, Timothy he says, preach the word. He says, correct, rebuke and encourage. That, that's an amazing thing. That this love, God of love, tender uh, and mercy would say correct, rebuke and encourage. Why? Because in order for us to grow, we need all those aspects. And so this takes place in the church because we are first and foremost a family. And the answer to this is to stay and not run. When you're receiving correction, when you're receiving discipline, when uh, you're not getting your own way, don't run, but stay. Work through your problems so that we as individuals and as a company of people can grow. This is why Paul is using such language, because brothers represent family. When the disciples said, teach us how to pray, Jesus said, say this, our Father why? Because church is a family. When you give your life to Christ, we are brothers and sisters. It's family language. 
But he not only calls him a brother, he also calls him a co-worker. Why? Because the church is not just a family, it's also an organisation. Did you know that? The church is a family and it's an organisation. There is a corporate side to church. Not only is there a community side, but there's also a corporate side to church. And I know that because every family needs organising. I want you for just a moment to think about your family. You are a family. You love each other. You care for each other. You support each other. But money needs to be earned. Why is it so quiet? You know I'm right. Money needs to be earned. Bills need to be paid. Can you imagine getting a bill in the mail and you say, no, no, I'm not going to pay that because we're a family. (laughs) And we just love each other, man. We're family. And so it's fine, pay the bill. Every family knows that because every family is an organisation. Got bills to be paid. You've got dishes to be washed. Isn't that right, mums? I say, I'm talking to the mums because they want their kids to do it. There are dishes to be washed. There are bins to be put out. You know what? All the love and care and tenderness in your family isn't going to get that bin out. Someone's got to do it. It needs organising. And you say, "Uh, Mitch, have you put the bin out? I prayed about it. It's not going to happen. You're going to love that bin. Oh, you're going to be part of the family, man. No, no, it's going to go out. You know that. You love that bin all you like. You can, you can love your mum all you like, but mum wants that bin out. Love your mum. Thank you, honey. But is the bin out? Yeah, but I really love your mum. You're awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. But is the bin out? All this love is not going to get the bin out. I want to know is the bin out because the bin needs to go out because there's a truck coming tomorrow morning. And this whole thing needs organising because family is an organisation, yes? Mouths need to be fed with the exception of this week. But mouths need to be fed. School drop-offs need to happen. Are you with me? This happens in every family. Families are an organisation and they need managing. And every reasonable family, I say reasonable, every reasonable family understands this. And can I say, so it is for the church. Any reasonable Christian understands that when you get a company of people that gather together, it needs organising. And you say, oh, I don't believe the church is an organisation. I believe it's a family. So do I. But it's a family that needs organising. So there's an organisational side, there's a corporate side to the family, just as there is an organisational side to your family. Bills need to be paid. We can't just get a bill in the post and pray about it. We can't just get a bill in the post and say, hey, come here, man, love you. No, no, no. The bill needs paying. Chairs, the chairs that you're sitting on need to be put out. Buildings need to be cleaned. These things don't just happen because we love each other. You know, when we came together midweek for our prayer meeting, and we loved on each other, we sought the face of God, that moment actually made the place messy. It didn't make it cleaner. And so things needed to be vacuumed and chairs needed to be reorganised. 
Now, I want to say this. I don't believe the church should ever be an organisation in spirit. It should be a family when it comes to our spirit and our heart and our attitude. But with that spirit, it still needs some organisation taking place. Are you with me there today? Because bills need paying. Music needs playing. Who enjoyed the time of worship this morning? We had music. It was amazing. And I thank God for the talent of people that we have. But that didn't just happen. Buildings need to be clean. Coffee needs to be served in church. People need to be visited. People need to be reached. See, the church needs workers, not shirkers. And so when it comes to the church, if we understand what the church is, we can embrace what it is that we need to do. So when it comes to the church as a family, stay. When it comes to the church as an organisation, serve. And thirdly, Paul goes on to say, he's my fellow soldier. Not only is he my brother, not only is he my co-worker, but he's also my fellow soldier. Why? Because the church is not only a family and it's not only an organisation, but it's also an army. The church has a cause to fulfil. And the cause is found in Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Jesus said, go into all the world and make my disciples. The go is evangelism, making disciples is discipleship. This is our cause as a church. Victory Church is a church that's committed to connecting people, precious people to God, to His church and to their purpose. That is why we are here week after week, year after year, 23 years tomorrow on the same cause to reach people and to disciple them, to reach people and to disciple them. And if Jesus does not come back in the next 23 years, the cause of the church is going to be exactly the same, to connect people to God, to His church and to their purpose. We want to reach them and we want to disciple Disciple them. We want to reach them and we want to disciple them. We want to reach them and we want to disciple them. And we're going to do that week after week after week after year after year after year after decade after decade after decade until we are with Him or Jesus comes back to us. This is our cause. But of course, it's easier said than done. Why? Because we have an enemy. We have an enemy. Paul says that Epaphroditus almost died. And can I just say this? While Epaphroditus almost died for what he did in serving God, most of us, that will not be the case for. Most of us will live our blessed, prosperous lives till the day we die. And we'll get to enjoy this beautiful land called Australia. And that is not a sin. But it is a sin when we allow the comfort of our lifestyle to rob us of the opportunity to embrace the cause which comes with a little bit of hardship. I think Paul was using this man as an opportunity not just to commend the man, but to model the culture of the church. 
He's saying, let's honour men like this because they're upholding the culture of the church. We are a family, we're an organisation and we are an army. And this young man represents all three really, really well. So let's honour men like him and let's become like him. And even if we don't suffer like he suffered, we should be able to get involved and there should be some measure of discomfort or even hardship if necessary in order to fulfil the Great Commission. Amen. We are not going to fulfil what God has called us to do if we just settle for a life of ease and comfort. This man should encourage us to embrace a little bit of discomfort in our lives. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, Paul says this, For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep what he has committed to him until that day. Paul knew what he stood for and nothing could sway him from his cause. He says, I know, I believe, I'm persuaded, I'm committed. Do you know? Do you believe? Are you persuaded? Are you committed this morning? See, the answer to being part of God's army is to be strong and stand. You're going to feel like running. You're going to feel like giving up, but don't. Stand. To be part of the family, we need to stay. To be part of the organisation, we need to serve. And to be part of the army, we need to stand our ground. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, these are all letters that Paul wrote to different parts of the world at that time. He says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. See, he didn't say take your stand against the person in the second row of church who you're having a problem with. The person that you're having a problem with right now is not the enemy. It's a scheme of the enemy to get you off point and off mission. And we want to leave this church and go somewhere else because that person's there. To go to another church to find there's, they've got a twin brother who does exactly the same things that annoy you to go to another church. It's a scheme of the enemy. And we need to take our stand and not give up and not fall for him. We need to take our stand against the strategies and the schemes. See, I don't believe we are fighting the devil so much personally face to face. I think we are fighting more his strategies. Why do I know that? Because they work so well. And one of his strategies is social media. And he just watched what people put on social media. He says, my job is done. All the hatred and the abuse and the gossip and the slander. My work is done. It's a scheme. This person leaving for the bad reasons, this person leaving for the bad reasons, it's a scheme of the enemy. And we need to wake up to a church, recognise what it is. So when you've got an issue with someone, we need to go to them. That's what the Bible says. And we'll be able to do that sooner when we wake up to the fact that this is actually a scheme of the enemy. He's trying to get me upset and miserable. And the devil will always be on your side. He'll always tell you you're right in order to bring division Separation. It's a scheme of the enemy. He says, For our wrestle, our struggle, sorry, is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. One of the greatest strategies of the enemy is to convince the world that he does not exist. 
And we as a church recognise there is a devil, there is an enemy, and he wants to kill, steal and destroy. And that's why we took this last week to go without, to abstain, in order to get to know God better and to be empowered by what only he can give us in order to overcome the enemy. And so that the army of God would be powerful, bold and effective. In conclusion, I want to say this. To ensure these three things happen, God gives gifts to the church. For these three things to be maintained, God gives gifts. He gives pastors to pastor for the family. And he gives managers to manage the organisation. And he gives leaders to lead the army. And in this church, we have pastors and we have leaders and we have managers. I am a pastor. I am. But I'm a pastor with the leadership mandate to lead you into battle week after week after week after week. There are others who are pastors who make sure that your needs are met in order that you're strong enough to be able to stay on point week after week after week. And then we have people who have more management skills to make sure bills are paid and electricity doesn't get cut off, etc. And this church has them because it needs them and they are gifts from God to the church to maintain and make sure the church is powerful, strong, bold and courageous. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au.